really warm welcome to the teaching ministry of New Life Church Crawley. We're a multicultural, intergenerational church. And we believe in the gospel of Christ. We believe in spreading his love through his word and through his works. We really hope that you enjoy what you hear today. We'd love for you to connect with us via the usual social media outlets, such as Facebook or on our website. notice when we look in the Bible is that Jesus didn't mix with the sort of people that we would have expected him to. That actually a lot of the people that he sat down and ate with, most people wouldn't touch with a barge pole. And Jesus had a knack of seeing what people needed and meeting their needs. And that's what we're going to uh, think about over the next few weeks when we're thinking about some of the people that Jesus chose to have a meal with. But I've got a question for you this morning. If you could choose anyone from the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, to invite round to your house for a meal, who would it be? Who would you choose and why? And what would you serve them? Some people are going to come up and help me with that now. So if you want to come up, you know who you are now. <laughs> Honestly, working with children is a lot easier than working with adults. Cool. So these people have been pre-warned. They do know that I was going to ask them the question. I'm not that mean. Um, we're missing somebody. Is she not going to come? Will you come up with me? Come up with me. Come on. You can come and stand. I won't make you talk. Just come and stand up the front. And I'll read it out for you. Are you going to come? Good girl. No? She's not going to do it. She's getting a Sophie look and she's still not doing it. She's very brave. Okay. So... Who would you choose from the Bible to invite round your house for a meal and why? Do you want to go first? Fantastic. They've done so much work on this. This is amazing. Who would you choose? Ruth, her qualities of bravery, love, obedience, faith, trust and humility shows trust with God it's not over until God says it's over. Amen. That's brilliant. Wonderful. And did you think about what you might serve her for dinner? What would you choose her? No? Don't worry about it. That's fine. We'll go to your mum and we'll come back to you. I know she's whispering things to you, so we do understand, Mercelin. Okay. She's going to... You do yours first. Do as you're told. Children first. I still have to preach. Come on. Do you know what? When I asked Sophie to do this, I knew this would end up in trouble. Okay. We're going to do... Apparently, we're going to do Marilyn's now. Mary, because she was very humble humble and prepared to be used by God. Obedience is very important. Oh, thank you. That's amazing. Brilliant. Okay, over to Sophie. Who would you invite? Thank you. Pastor, your turn is coming. Yeah. <laughs> I would invite Esther because <laughs> she, 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 her message or oh, her life tells me that I should use the power of God that instructs me to use the blessings that I have to help others. And I would serve them for full. Fantastic. 
Brilliant. Just in case you didn't hear, that was Esther, because I know you were all laughing when she said it. So that was Esther. Fantastic. Debbie, who you're much easier to work with, I think. <laughs> who would you invite round for dinner? I would invite Mary Magdalene round. Um, the reason why I would invite her is because she um, was cured of her demons. Um, and she also um, was more accounts a wealthy woman as well and so people are brought into our lives for some reason um, and I'd like to think that she being so close to Jesus was brought into his life to give the uh, female side to his personality um, and so I and she was she was also there for, um, at the crucifixion at the um, you know the resurrection yeah she's one of the women that, that were there they chose to um, he chose to um, appear to women, including Mary Magdalene, and I'd just like to have a conversation with her about what it was like, um, you know, a female perspective of it. I also read somewhere this week that Peter was jealous of her um, relationship with Jesus, so I'd quite like to explore that a bit further. Um, and those of, those of you that know me, I don't cook, so... <laughs> um, no, so I thought, well, what would I do? And if it was a treat, then I would have afternoon tea. So I think I would probably... I'd like to say I'd cook the cake and the scones, but I wouldn't. I'd just order it in. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so I would invite uh, Paul for, the, for dinner, food, lunch, breakfast. Um, uh, reason why is basically I'm really intrigued by his story, how he became, you know... Um, so... Long story short, I remember talking to a pharmacist I was working with who's also a, who was also a Christian. And uh, on the subject came the Cray Twins because she grew up from where the Cray Twins grew up. And apparently Reggie Cray was a Christian, apparently. Um, but like, um, but he said, how could, how could he, after all the people he'd you know, killed and everything? I said, well, Paul was one of the biggest mass murderers in the Bible. Um, how Jesus, Jesus can turn someone from being a mass murderer to someone who started the, the entire church. Um, his story just really um, intrigues me. Um, as to why I'd serve him for dinner, I know he spent most of his time in jail a lot. Um, so I'll just give him all the steak he wants. So, <laughs> sorry to all the vegetarians and vegans here, but yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you very much. If you'd like to sit down. Wonderful. So Jesus surprised everybody with the people that he chose to eat with. And we're going to watch a video now which tells the story of Jesus meeting somebody and telling them that they were good enough to be him. This man had a sin problem. And a sin problem is basically just saying, shove off God, I'm in charge. No to your rules. So let's see what happens with Matthew. Stories of the Bible. Jesus calls Matthew. This is Jesus. Hey who is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. While Jesus was on earth, he taught everyone about God's love and healed people from their sickness. He did many miracles like calming storms and even raised people from the dead. Jesus was in Capernaum and he was walking along when he saw a tax collector named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. 
Tax collectors were hated by everyone because many people thought they were cheaters and sinners. Oh, not like Let's get out of here. But Jesus saw this man and said, Follow me and be my disciple. Me? Yeah, you. So Matthew got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Matthew held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Uh, here. Oh, thank you. Many of Matthew's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. Ugh, yuck. Hey, you! But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained to Jesus' disciples, Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Uh, hold on there. When Jesus heard this, he told them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, Now go on and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So Matthew went on to be one of Jesus' 12 disciples and followed him throughout his time on earth. He even wrote a book in the Bible about Jesus' time on earth, and he served God for the rest of his life. So Matthew knew that he needed to change. And when Jesus said, follow me, he did. And he threw a massive party for Jesus. And everybody came because people started to see that Jesus was a surprise. That he went where people needed him, not necessarily where it was expected. And the Pharisees, they thought they were the healthy ones. But actually, it was Levi, Matthew, that knew he was sick with sin and that he needed Dr. Jesus to change his heart. Thank you. Well, they say you are what you eat, don't they? So good morning, Mr. Haribo. (laughs) (laughs) You see, as we know from, from our own eating, when we eat with someone, it's very personal, isn't it? And we invite people around that we want to get to know better, people that we want to spend time with. Uh, people that we value. We, we don't often invite our enemies round for dinner. We don't often invite people that we don't like. But in this series, we'll, we'll get to look at nine stories, nine encounters with Jesus, where he does come and have meals with people. And they're, they're surprising. They're, some of them are the less desirable members of the public. And yet Jesus comes and spends time with them. We see part of his character and part of his mission in doing that. So if you have your Bible, we're going to pick up at Luke chapter 5. So for the next eight or nine weeks, we're going to be in Luke. So if you're wondering what to read in your your Bible readings, I would encourage you to read Luke. And we're going to pick up with this story of Jesus calling Levi, which is the Jewish name for Matthew. So depending on what Bible version you read, it might be Levi, it might be Matthew. But let's pick up at Luke chapter 5, verse 27. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. 
Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi had the, held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. And Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come not to call those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. So I just want to draw out a couple of simple things from this story. What do we learn about following Jesus from the calling of Matthew? Firstly, I think we learn following Jesus means others might be amazed. <laughs> See, before this, in the story in Luke 5, uh, Luke is unpacking some of the story of, the, of the, the people Jesus is reaching and he heals a man with leprosy, he heals a man uh, who's paralyzed and then in verse 26, everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe and they praised God exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. And if you know anything about the gospel of Luke, Luke is the gospel of the outcasts. He's the one that emphasizes the shepherds. He's the one that emphasizes women. He's the one that emphasizes the poor. In fact, all of the people that in first century society were outcast and isolated, Luke emphasizes, Luke majors on and says, this is why Jesus came. And we'll see that as we go through the series. So all of these healings, they're amazing, aren't they? Could you imagine being here and seeing that happen instantly? When I've seen incredible healings, when I've seen people healed from blindness or deafness, it's, it's incredible when you see that happening instantly. But Luke, I think, is wanting to, to draw a point for us. He said, however amazing all those things are, what's even more amazing is the type of people God calls. It's the type of people God's interested in. Because you know in our original Bible, there was no punctuation. There was no chapters and verses. You know that, don't you? So it just flowed together in a scroll. So we, we separated out and sometimes we miss these little connections. But I think Luke is making a point. What you think is amazing, actually, it's more amazing when you come and see. Why did, what did Jesus say in Matthew? See, I'm wondering, as Peter, James, and, and John are there, they're looking at this guy and thinking, you charged us double. You overtaxed us. And yet, Jesus is coming and choosing him. Jesus loved, and in the story we see, he forgave and called someone who's totally undeserving. And to us, we, we kind of know the story. And we know the end of most of it. We don't see how shocking this would have been at the time. You see, Jewish tax collectors, if you had them in your home, your home was then considered unclean. You would have to go through ritual cleansing. Forget spring cleaning, forget dusting, you would have had to wait seven days and all that cleansing. Not only that, it's thought that some tax collectors were, were connected with the mob, the mafia. So what they would do is if you didn't pay your taxes, they would have enforcers who would come along and threaten you, break your leg, could hold some of your family to ransom until you paid your tax and the ransom. These were not nice people. This is not like getting a letter from the HMRC, all right? 
This is not like getting an email saying you owe us money. These were nasty people. These were really despised people, and I think we forget about that. They were not allowed to serve as witnesses in court because they were considered dishonest and liars. They weren't permitted in the synagogues because they were seen as unclean, and so to invite them into the synagogue would have made it unclean. But most of the time they didn't care because they were very wealthy people. So they could go to wherever they want. They had great parties. They did what they want. Money talked then just as much as it does now. There were lots of taxes. There were road taxes, taxes for doxing your boat, taxes for imports and exports, sales taxes. There was even taxes on the wheels of your cart and depending on the shape and the size and the number and all of those things, that would determine how much you're taxed. <laughs> Death and taxes are the certain things in life, aren't they? But could you imagine almost at every street you're going to, there's a tax for this, there's a tax for that. The Romans had to fund and feed their army, and how did they do it? They did it by taxing people. And tax collectors were usually considered collaborators. They, they drew them from uh, the local people. And there was no limit to the amount that a, a chief tax collector could collect. Because basically they tendered for the position. So they'd put in a tender and the Romans would agree a levy and a fee. Anything above that they could charge what they want. They could do what they want. So that's where they, they could literally enforce and get enforcers to come and say, this is how much money we want. And as long as the Romans got what they required, they really didn't care. So tax collectors were notorious for making themselves wealthy by cheating their own suffering people. So when we come to the, the, the story of Levi, Levi knew his need. Levi knew that he wasn't good, <laughs> he wasn't clean, and he wasn't welcome except amongst his own people. And yet Jesus comes and talks to him. Jesus comes and invites him into relationship. I wonder if you think back in your own life, what did Jesus see in you when he called you? Well, the Bible actually tells us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you have your Bible, I'll read it if you don't. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, friend of Ron, thank you. I do know who Ron is. I just forgot momentarily. Romans 1, or sorry, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Do we fit in that category? Does that sound like any of us? We're not wealthy. Maybe we're not wise. We're not considered powerful. Any of you got an invitation to the coronation? No, I didn't think so. <laughs> so you see, we're not mixing with the royalty. But God calls us. 
God calls us into relationship with himself and it's not because of what we can do because if it was about what we could do we'd boast, wouldn't we? I did that. that that's me. But the Bible says all our righteousness, all our right, righteous acts are like filthy rags in the sight. They count for nothing in terms of being right with God. God calls us. Maybe there's some Matthews in your life. Maybe there's some Levi's in your life that God is saying, I want you to bring to Jesus. <laughs> One of the things we're gonna do in May is an outreach weekend. We hope to have some uh, Bible college students from IBTI College in Burgess Hill. Uh, we'll have Pastor Jonathan from Nigeria that weekend as well. And we're we're gonna go out and, and do some stuff on the streets because we wanna share that message. We wanna have this idea that people out there should know this message as well. And like every church in this country, they're staying away in their thousands. So we have to take that message out. Both as individuals and as a church, we have to be communicating that message. So we're gonna give you the opportunity to do that as we move on. It's following the examples of Jesus. Who knows what testimony we can have of a life that's changed. It could be amazing. Secondly, following Jesus means being aware of the cost. We have this idea that when Jesus came to, to Levi, to Matthew, that it, this was the first time he met him and he left everything. That's almost what the Bible presents, isn't it? And a number of times it does that. But actually it's quite probable that Jesus had met Matthew on a number of occasions. It's quite probable that he may have had a conversation with him. Certainly there was taxes to be paid. Maybe in his carpentry business, he had to pay taxes with his father Joseph. Who knows exactly the conversations he had, but there was something in that relationship and something at this particular point that was different. Jesus comes and invites him and says, follow me and be my disciple. And it's incredible that Matthew left his, his tax booth and, and we have this idea that, that maybe it was a rickety little shaw, you know, with a, a put up sign. Where there's money, there's always security. So don't, don't get that idea. And it may even have been that they would have been on a platform because if you were by the, the seaside, you could have watched out along the coast and seen all the um, fishermen come in with their catch and go, mm, he's got a good catch. I'll make a note of that. Make sure he pays extra for that. So this idea that it was a rickety, rickety little thing is probably not true. They had a position of power and influence and probably had that place that they were high above. So people had to come and bring their taxes and Matthew leaves immediately. How many of us would walk away from our jobs in order to follow Jesus? That's a challenge, isn't it? If Jesus called us, would we willingly do it? Would we have the courage to do it? Some of us have. My in-laws thought we were mad giving up company cars and, and careers in Northern Ireland to go to Bible college. For what? No, no income. We didn't get any grant because it was a private institution. Beverly worked and I had to work uh, as well while we did that. And they, they were thinking, why have you done this? This makes no sense. And what, what's gonna happen after Bible college? Don't know. No guarantees. 
But that's the cost sometimes of following Jesus, isn't it? And that's where faith kicks in because he doesn't always give us the blueprint before we say yes. <laughs> he just says, come follow me. Uh, well, what about, and what if, and, and no, 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 no. Come follow me. Come follow me. Do we have the courage to do that? When Jesus looked at Matthew, what did he see? He looked past his occupation. He saw a man who had the heart to follow God. He picked someone who everyone else would reject. Have you ever felt isolated? Have you ever felt alone? Have you ever felt rejected by people? Then you're in good company when you look at the disciples. He saw a man who was teachable and would someday be a great apostle for the kingdom of God. But that's the key characteristic. That's the key for all the disciples. Not that they were perfect, not that they got it right all the time, because they didn't, did they? Peter only ever opened his mouth to change feet. He was constantly getting it wrong. But they were teachable. They learned. And that's the character that Jesus, when he brought children in front of the disciples and said, unless you become like a little child, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because they're teachable. They soak it in. They learn. The most common question of a child? Why? They want to learn. They want to grow. And Jesus chose people not on the basis of their education or their bank balance or their career or their reputation or their popularity. He chooses them on the basis, are they teachable? Are they willing to learn? And he, he was going to be a great apostle for the kingdom of God. But also, he saw a man who would one day die as a martyr, we think, in Ethiopia. That's what we think from Christian history. So there's this dichotomy in the Christian life where God calls us to great things. And Matthew was a, a, a great writer and we, we understand how he explained the gospel in the gospel of Matthew. But also there was a great cost for Matthew in following Jesus. And I think that goes against the grain of our culture because we want this idea, oh, I like the idea of that title, great apostle. But what goes with it is the suffering Read Paul's writings. Ask Ron if you're not sure. With, with that great ministry that Paul had was a great deal of suffering and the cost in following Jesus. And you cannot have one without the other in my experience. You cannot have one without the other in biblical story. They both go together. And yet our culture so often wants this this idea of glory, of superstar, of fame. Oh, I'd love to be a YouTuber or a blogger. I'd love to this, this. this. And we, we breed that in and that's what the culture is bred in. But that's not the, the culture of the kingdom. The culture of the kingdom actually is this great cost in following Jesus. Matthew was teachable, but also Matthew was generous. He threw an expensive party. I don't think this was volivants from Iceland. Nothing wrong with volivants from Iceland. I don't think this was your, your tea cakes from Lidl. Nothing wrong with Lidl, we shop there. This was an expensive party. Do you know why I know that? Because the word that's used literally means that it was a, a mega party. This was a big, that's what the word means. Matthew threw a mega party, why? Because he didn't get invited to many. He didn't get invited to many from religious teachers and scholars and rabbis. They wouldn't. He was unclean. He wasn't welcome. So when Matthew came, he was generous. And we're going to talk a little bit later about giving. Thank you for those that give. 
you may have seen on our Signal app this week, because of the generosity of individuals, we were able to give to India, Pakistan, and Ukraine this week. Isn't that amazing? That's because some people sitting here today were so generous in their giving. So when we ask you to give, it's not to have a holiday home in Barbados. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Never been, but I'm sure it would be very nice. It's that we have more to give away. And, and this is what happens when we encounter Jesus. There is a cost. There's a cost in following Jesus, but there's a cost financially as well. And there's a great reminder that God can use anyone who's willing to be used by God. Is that good news this morning? For the weak and the foolish and the unwealthy. Is that a word, yeah? <laughs> In all of those areas where, where we come and we, and we bring our loaves and fishes, we'll talk about that too. When we bring our loaves and fishes and say that this is not much, Jesus, but he can do something with it. But there is a requirement. And the requirement is that, that we're willing to leave everything. That we're willing to leave everything for Jesus. You see, it's not just in one instance. This is part of the gospel message in Matthew several times and then again in Luke. This is a repeated message. Jesus says in Luke 9, he says to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take your cross daily and follow me. See, as we say often, this idea of sin, it's not about robbing a bank or murdering someone. Sin is that we go our own way. It's, I'll have my way, I'll do it my way. It's like, I don't feel like coming to church today, so I'll not bother. Instead of the commitment to be in the community of God's people. There's a, a cost in following Jesus always. And the challenge is we must give up our own way. We must give up our own way of doing things. We must give up this fallacy and this illusion of control in our lives and hand over the reins of our life to him. This is not an extra, this is not the SAS of Christianity. This is the basic commitment to follow Jesus. Willing to do whatever he asks. In our marriages, willing to do whatever he asks. Willing to sacrifice, willing to serve, willing to honor one another. Are we willing to do that? That's the cost, isn't it? It's not in, in church and in worship and raising our hands and, and, and singing our life. That's easy, folks. It's the people you live with. <coughs> That's the ones you have to honor. That's the cost in following Jesus in the everyday mundaneness of life. When the kids are getting on your nerves. When your wife's getting out, don't look at anyone. <laughs> my wife doesn't get on my nerves. Can't say for the other way around. But. <clears throat> but there's a cost in following Jesus. And folks, we just need to embrace that. We do. We just need to embrace that as a normal part of the gospel. That's honest evangelism. You know this idea that you come to Jesus and all your problems will be solved? No, it's not true, is it? Yes, he blesses us. Yes, he meets our needs. But also there's a cost in following him. And we got to get away from this. Oh, I'm only in it when the going's good. I'm only there when things are going well, when I feel like it. Can 
come on folks, if you only do what you feel like doing, you won't get out of bed six days a week. There's a cost in following Jesus. My challenge to you is, if we're gonna live the life that we see in this Bible, are we gonna be the people who pay the cost? Because I hear people say at times, oh, it'd be great to be like the early church. Really? (laughs) Have you read what happens? Yeah, beaten, stoned, crucified, but it all comes out of Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. They didn't need a phone call from the pastor on Sunday morning to say, are you coming this morning? They didn't need a G up. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and the breaking the bread. This is what basic Christianity is. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Finally, following Jesus means responding to his message. I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. I believe that the message of Jesus was one of grace. It is. Who he embraces, people we wouldn't embrace. The Mary Magdalene's, the the Levi's, and the others that we'll see over the next few weeks. Someone has said, it's the scandal of grace. (laughs) Grace is scandalous when you look at it. We, we, We can't earn God's favor and we don't deserve it, but he gives it freely. That's the scandal of God's grace. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more and there's nothing you can do that will make him love you less. That's the scandal of God's grace. Paul says the good news was hard to grasp by our own wisdom because so many people are trying to earn salvation. Every other religion apart from Christianity is trying to earn their way to heaven. Scandal of grace says this, 1 Corinthians 1, 23. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. They say it's foolishness because you don't have to do anything. People have said to me at times, you mean I have to turn away from my sin, believe in Christ and follow him? That's too easy. That, that seems too easy. Well, you know it's not easy in following him because there's a cost. But people are offended by that because they don't have to do anything. They can't do anything. It's what, it's what Jesus has done for them that matters. People are offended by People think, well, that's nonsense, and they did. It's foolishness. Surely we have to do something. No. And the religious leaders turn up. Do you ever wonder why the religious leaders turn up at all these parties and these events? Well, part of the practical reason for that was is they had political and religious clout. So if a religious leader comes, they, in their opinion, had the right to challenge you. They had the right to challenge what on. They, They were the moral and religious policemen of the day. And so people didn't refuse them into the home because they could be put out of the synagogue, which would have meant their business could have failed. They would have been ostracized. It was serious stuff. So religious leaders are turning up lots of places that they're, they're really not welcome. And they weren't there to put a stamp of approval on the ministry of Jesus, but they were there to find fault and blame and guilt. 
Luke 5 verse 30. The Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Have you ever complained bitterly? <laughs> we might say today they had a bit of religious rage or they had a bit of road rage or they had a bit of a rant. Have you ever had a bit of a rant? Mm. The religious leaders are having a bit of a rant and they're complaining about Jesus' conduct. They ask Jesus, why are you eating with this scum? And that's what the New Living Translation says. That's how they viewed the tax collectors. They were rubbish, they were scum. Why are you eating with these people? And Jesus comes and explains his mission. It's the sick who need a doctor, not the healthy. Now he wasn't saying that the Pharisees didn't need to be forgiven. His point was they didn't see their need to be forgiven. <laughs> that's different, isn't it? They didn't see their need to be forgiven. They thought they were good enough. Levi, Matthew, knew he had no goodness to cling to. How corrupt must they have been? How many dirty deals must they have done? How many enforcers maybe had he got on the job? Who knows? But Levi knew his heart. Levi knew his story. And Jesus comes and calls him. He doesn't justify himself. He turns away from his old life and invites all his friends Puts his faith in Jesus. And Jesus recognizes this. There's incredible truth. After this summer, we're going to do a series on what's called the Beatitudes. If you've been around church for a while, you will know them. It's uh, Matthew 5, verses 1 to 11, where Jesus said, blessed are. So we're going to look at those because they are the, the principles of living in God's kingdom. And they're, they're countercultural, they're, they're revolutionary. We're going to look at those. And the, one of the ones that Jesus says is, blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit are not people who wring their hands and say, oh, I'm so unworthy. I'm so bad. Oh, Jesus could never accept me. No, it's not feeling bad about ourselves in that sense. It's not living with a sense of unworthiness. Poor in spirit are people who recognize their need of God. People who recognize their need. People who, who will come. It's not feeling bad about yourself. It's not feeling miserable. It's not thinking, oh, I'm so unworthy. God couldn't possibly love me. That's not what the Bible teaches. But it is recognizing our own spiritual poverty we're poor in spirit before God. It's not our own righteousness. Jesus says those are the blessed people. Jesus is clear. He didn't come for religious people who think they're all right already. And they don't even see their need. He comes for those who'll come and say, I recognize my need. I recognize that I'm poor in spirit. And that's why Jesus quoted Hosea, he says, I desire compassion, not sacrifice. Because the religious leaders sacrificed. In fact, in Matthew 23, he says, you will sacrifice even down to your spices. Ladies, in the kitchen, do you set aside 10% of your spices to give them to the work of the church? No, you don't. If you spill some, you throw it in the bin. It's, it's throwaway. But the Pharisees and the religious leaders were so devout that even their spices these were devout people, but they missed Jesus because of that, because they didn't see their own poverty. They were willing to sacrifice, 
but they had missed the whole point of mercy and compassion. They'd missed the heart of God for people who were poor spiritually. Jesus says, I desire compassion, not sacrifice, to a people who'd grown stubborn, cold, indifferent, proud. When we were in Israel, we really seen that character of the nation come out just in conversation with people. We hired a car that broke down twice. It was horrible. And the hassle we had taking that back and even getting another car. And they weren't interested in giving any sort of refund in the question. You know way when something breaks down, usually there's some goodwill to the company. No. And you can, I can see in scripture, these were people who were hard-necked. They were stiff-necked. They were rebellious. And Jesus rebukes the religious, religious leaders because they had never reached out to people with compassion. In fact, Jesus says, do you know what you do? You heap burdens on people, more and more burdens on people, and don't lift a finger to help them. That's what he said about the religious leaders. The only people Jesus condemned were who? The religious leaders. Read it in Matthew 7, the seven woes. Not the ordinary people, not the Levites, not the Mary Magdalene's, not the people who were poor in spirit, who knew their need and brought their need to God, but those who were religious. But honestly, that message of grace is not a license to live any way we want. It's not a license to way, live any way we think. And we, we have this idea, and I think it's been overemphasis. We have this idea of, of God as, oh, he's our best friend, and he's warm and cuddly, and, you know, and we can call him daddy and all the rest of it. Well, Jesus did call his father, father, a hundred times in the Gospels. And he brought that new sense of intimacy with God. But it, but it wasn't a, oh, well, everything's all right, we'll just overlook that kind of. It wasn't a warm and fuzzy, fuzzy. He's a loving father, certainly, but also he's a holy and just judge. You read what Jesus says. One day we will all have to stand before God and give an account for our lives. God is the, the God who will judge the living and the dead. Isn't that what the creed says? We will all stand before him. So yes, he's our father, but he's also a holy, just God who cannot tolerate sin. That's why Jesus died for us. That's what we celebrated over Easter. God sent his son for, for us to be sin for us. So grace is not a license to live any way we want and think, oh, well, it doesn't matter because God's warm and fuzzy and cuddly and he loves me and it's, it's there, there, there. If that's your picture of God, then you're not reading the whole Bible. Titus 2, 11 and 12 says this. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. We say amen, yes? Thank you. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. Because the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. What does the grace of God teach us to do? Say no. Say no. We don't have to live that sinful life anymore. 
We don't have to live with a sense of shame. We don't have to live with a sense of unworthiness because salvation has come through Jesus. And if we are a follower of him, we are forgiven people as far as the east is from the west. We're clean before him. We can rejoice in that. But that does not give us a license to live any way we want. Folks, when people come to me and say, oh, the devil made me do it. <laughs> uh, seriously, don't, don't ever have that conversation with me. I will not be very pastoral in that moment, Margaret, I can assure you. You may get the left foot of fellowship. <laughs> the devil doesn't make you do it. Do you know what the Bible says? James 1. And remember, when you're being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. It's our own sinful desires. It's the stuff inside of us that we allow to grow, that we fester. It's that thought that we don't take captive. It's that thought that we allow to fertilize in our mind and grow. And what happens? The devil comes along and he'll water it for you. If you don't take captive your thoughts, it will grow. And if you let it grow, it will give birth to death. It will. Trust me on that. 30 years pastoral experience, I can tell you, when you let that grow, when you water that seed, when you don't deal with these areas in your life, it leads to sinful actions and it will bring death in your life. You can't keep doing what you want. You can't keep living any way you want and expect to get close to God at the same time. I'm sorry, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I believe in the grace of God. I practice it. I need it. But that doesn't give us a license to live any way we want. And if you're living in a sinful pattern and a sinful behavior, you will not be close to God. Never ceases to amaze me when people say, oh well, you know, I don't feel like coming to church this morning because I haven't read my Bible this week or I haven't done this or I haven't done that. Or It's like, come on, that's exactly the place you should be in the place of grace, receiving grace among God's people and getting back to that place of devotion. It's not a time to stay away. It's a time to run to the Father. Isn't that what the prodigal did? When the prodigal came to his senses, we need to come to our senses on Sunday morning. Sunday mornings are the easiest time to just dip out, isn't it? Isn't it a battle sometimes on Sunday morning? Isn't it amazing how many things can go wrong on a Sunday morning? How many arguments can occur on a Sunday morning? Why do you think I get out of the house early, Bill? <laughs> I bring her with me though, so. Listen, you can't live any way you want and be close to God at the same time. Hebrews says, without holiness, no one can see God. Now that's not a striving to be accepted by God. It's because we're accepted, we want to live that holy life. It's because we've received grace, we want to honor him. It's because of, not in order to achieve. I'm gonna challenge you a little as I've been challenged in my life. See, when we first came to England, 
we were shocked at a number of things. We were shocked at police stations for starters, because police stations were basically houses. Where I come from, police stations are like Fort Knox. It's barbed wires, bulletproof, armed guards, police carry weapons. When I come over here and looked at a policeman, I thought, please, what are you going to stop? And what's that? That's a house. <laughs> but what I did realize, I realized actually how bigoted we were. We grew up in Northern Ireland. Some of my friends had been shot and killed. Some of our family have a history that we don't share. We came from a tough environment. And because of that, we developed certain attitudes. You do, don't you? It's like a frog in a, in a, in a pot. You put it into boiling water, it's going to jump straight out. But you heat it up slowly and the frog will boil to death because it doesn't even know it's the environment it's in. And when we came to England, we realized how bigoted we were towards sections of the community. And we had to repent of that. And so when Jesus comes, he comes. This is our third week <laughs> talking about repentance. Because Jesus talks about it quite a lot. He talks about repentance. He talks about the need to follow him. Those who are sinners and need to repent. That's not just at the starting point of our life. That's actually the whole way through our life. Because we can so easily come with prejudice against people. I grew up, please don't be offended by this. But I grew up thinking that basically racism was white people against black people. That, that's what I understood. But as I've traveled around the world, I've realized that's not true. There can be racism from any color. As many of you know, we, we foster uh, young men and they're often not always, but they're often asylum seekers. And I, I remember a conversation with one of them who was an asylum, se asylum seeker. And um, at one stage he said, do you know what? I'm fed up with all these people coming into this country. <laughs> I'm thinking, what are you talking about? He says, yeah, but they're, they're, they're taking jobs and, and they're, they shouldn't be here. I'm thinking, well, are you on crazy pills? Is there something wrong with you? Do you not realize? And suddenly it dawned on me. We can be so blind by our own prejudice. We don't even see it. And so the challenge I'm bringing to you today, is there a person or is there a people group that you're prejudiced against? Is there a tribe from your own culture and your own nation that you're prejudiced against? Is there a people group that you say, no, I wouldn't help them. No, 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 they deserve all they get. Whether that's the homeless, whether that's people who are struggling with uh, drug or alcohol problems, whatever it is, is there a people group you say, oh no, no, they, they deserve it. That's their own fault. They want to be that way. God comes and says, we need to repent of those attitudes. Second thing I think we need to repent of is our indifference towards outsiders. Because truthfully, what happens a lot around church, church becomes the me club. Meet my needs. Look after me. Be there for me. Whereas Jesus says, do you know what? I'm going to leave the 99. Because I know they're safe in the sheepfold. They're fine. And I'm going to go after the one that's lost. I wonder are we willing to do that? Or do you think, well, 
as long as church looks after me, as long as David's there for me. Listen, I've had it said to me, I've had it said to me, people have left church, well, you're not there for me as much as you used to be. Really? Since when did I meet someone's needs? What does Jesus say? Seek first and all these other things. So you see, you don't get your needs met in me. And if you're looking to me to meet your needs, if you're looking to the leaders, you're looking in the wrong place. You seek first the kingdom of God. That's how you get your needs met. Your needs for security, significance, and self-worth are legitimate, but you don't get them met in me because you're going to be very disappointed very quickly. You have to get your needs met in Christ. He is our security. He is our significance. He is the one that gives his worth. We need to repent of indifference. It's not your church. It's not my church. It's his church. And part of that responsibility is that we look to those who are not yet here. It's not simply about meeting your needs. So I wonder if you have that attitude. Do you need to repent of that this morning? Do you need to come and say, God, would you change my heart? Would you soften my heart? In a couple of moments, Anthony's going to come and read a little piece of poetry of prose that really focuses us back on Jesus. But each week, what we're going to do in the series, could I have my slides back up? The questions for midweek. Each week, what we're going to do is... Um, put up on the screen. This will be up on the website after the service. Chris is pretty, putting those up. So the PDF of all of these notes. One of the things I encourage you to do is, is, is don't rely on Sundays to get your spiritual food. You need to be feeding yourself. Some of that is through groups. Some of that may be through one or two individuals. But you can be studying for yourself. So each week we're going to give you some personal reflections and study questions. They'll be on the website. Um, by one o'clock today. So you can download them and, and look at them or you can take a screenshot if you want to now. Begin to study scripture for yourself. Begin to look at it for yourself. Begin to engage with God for yourself because that's the thing that will keep us focused on Jesus. Carrie, have you still got the... Yeah, so I think is that Anthony's coming. And then why don't you close the service in prayer for us. Have we got another song, Chris, you're going to do for us? Yeah, okay. So thank you, Anthony. Jesus. His name is a complete sentence. His name is an entire prayer. His name alone brings healing. His name guarantees salvation. His name quenches the thirsty soul and fills the soul's hunger. Jesus, his name is the perfect solution to every problem. His name can resolve conflict. He brings peace and calm into every situation. His name is protection. His name brings light when darkness is all around. Jesus, his name is music. It is the sweetest melody. 
His name is joy unspeakable. His name is perfect. His name is altogether lovely, magnificent, glorious. His name is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Amen. So Lord, we thank you so much for the way that you've been speaking to us today, whether we're online or whether we're actually in the church building. We thank you that you can challenge us, but we thank you most importantly that you have called us and that you can use us. So we pray that as we go out into this week, you will show us what we need to turn away from and what we need to turn to. We pray for opportunities to show people your love, to show people your forgiveness and to show people your acceptance. And so we place this week into your hands, we place ourselves into your hands and we praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope that you enjoyed the teaching. We'd love to hear from you, so please contact us. All the details can be found on our website. God bless.